God, I want to welcome all of our campuses to the third week of our series entitled Fearless. Come on, let's just welcome all those that are joining us, all of our physical locations, those that are joining us online. We are in a series in 1 Thessalonians. It's Paul's writing a letter to the church at Thessalonica. And I want to begin by saying just a couple of things. In the culture in which we live, in the times in which we live, Quite honestly, there is so much going on. It can be discouraging at times. I got a call from somebody this week that said, Pastor, just to be honest, there's so many different things on my radar right now that I'm dealing with, not to mention all the things in our culture. I just feel discouraged and overwhelmed. Question, how do we as believers navigate in a time in which we live when so many things around us seem so discouraging. Today, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about how that we can live in God's supernatural strength. The, the concept of strength is a universal concept that we all use, the term. There's military strength. There's human physical strength. There is financial strength. Have you ever thought about the fact that there's also spiritual strength? How does someone get spiritually strong? How does someone develop spiritual strength in their life? Because I want to suggest to all of you and all of you at all of our campuses that it's when we understand and begin to walk in God's supernatural power, there is a spiritual strength that comes into our lives. I believe for any follower of Jesus living in any nation, in any culture, the key to living and overcoming life is understanding how to walk in God's strength. As you know, as Paul wrote this letter to the people in a church he planted in Thessalonica, Greece, he was there for three weeks. We read about that in Acts chapter 17. It was a port city. It was a very transient city, a very large city, and port cities classically have a few things that are attached to it. Number one, they're often considered a loose environment. What do I mean by that? Because of the transitory nature of people kind of coming in and out, there are, there are often things that are done there that are not done in other places. There are people that come in on ships and they do things there. They commit acts there that they then get back on their ship and leave and go somewhere else. There is a historic understanding that port cities tended to, to have a reputation that was less than moral. Immorality would mark this city like so many port cities today. Again, our main campus that we began in the greater New Orleans area, Mandeville, of course, I came from the South Shore in the greater New Orleans region. This whole region, particularly New Orleans itself, historically for generations, for centuries, because of it being a port city, has had a reputation very similar to Thessalonica. It was very interesting as I began to study this and began to think about Paul in chapter 3 and chapter 4, the different parallels in which the city in which he was writing to, the, the church he was writing to, and even the one in which that I grew up as a kid. It's interesting when you begin to think about Thessalonica and the church, the Thessalonians. Paul was writing to them because there was so much infidelity in marriage, even in that culture. Abuse, prostitution. Does that sound familiar? And on and on. The bottom line was there was, was a pretty rough place to live then 
as the city of New Orleans historically has been a pretty rough place to live today, among other port cities in the United States and around the world. So Paul felt compelled to give them some guidelines, some guidelines for living above the cultural vices. And, and we have virtues we talk about, but then there's also vices. There were so many cultural vices in this city that were so marked by it in that environment. Paul encouraged them. He encourages young church in their faith as they were growing in their faith and they were expanding. He encouraged them to, to walk not according to their own strength. It wasn't their own ability. This is where so many people get messed up in Christianity. They, they forget, they think that somehow that this is a self-help program. No, it's not a self-help program. Biblical Christianity is not a self-help. It's, it's we die and we lay down our lives and we spiritually come alive in Christ and we are filled with the Holy Spirit and it's God's power in us that gives us the strength to live the Christian life. How many of y'all are grateful that we don't have to live the Christian life in our own strength? Man, I'm grateful. And, and Paul was reminding them it's the strength of God. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to remind you today, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Sir, it's not your willpower. I've seen people with strong personalities and great strong willpowers reduced by the tempter, reduced by the enemy. Paul was teaching them and instructing them and writing to them the importance of living out of the strength of God. It's been one of my struggles, to be honest. Uh, as, as a follower of Jesus, because I have a strong personality on any of the tests, whether it's the disc analysis, I'm a D, dominant personality. The, the Enneagram, I'm an eight, wing eight. Uh, the, the, all the different ones, I'm a type A, whatever it is. And there's a tendency for particularly people like me to rely upon the strength of personality and forget about the strength of God that's available through the Holy Spirit. Paul was reminding them over and over. You're going to see it here. We live not by the strength of our own will, but by the strength of Almighty God. Regardless of the culture in which we live in, regardless of which, wherever your campus is, those that are joining us online, our new campus in Atlanta, whatever culture in which we are, you are listening to, you and I cannot live the overcoming Christian life in our own strength. We need the strength of God, spiritual strength. Can everybody say that word at the count of three, those two words? One, two, three, spiritual strength. Again, there's military strength, there's political strength, there's financial strength. We're not talking about that. We're talking about spiritual strength. I want to talk to you today about three keys then to living strong. Three keys to living strong. Paul's writing this letter from Corinth to the church that he birthed in Thessalonica. Here we go. First Thessalonians, if you have your Bible, of course you can look on the screen. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what Paul says. Therefore, when we can no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of God to establish you and to encourage you concerning your what? Say it, faith. You're going to hear that over and over today. That no one should be shaken by these afflictions. What afflictions? They were being persecuted for their faith. They, they, they were born again in a culture that was not thrilled they were born again. They became followers of Jesus. 
Whether it was Jewish people that were upset, whether it was the Roman people that controlled the world that were upset, whether it was people that lived that were indigenous to this particular city that were idol worshipers, not everyone was excited. They were following Jesus and preaching Christ. And there was hostility towards their faith. They were being opposed for their faith. And that's why he said, no one should be shaken by these afflictions. How often do we get shaken by an affliction? And I'm not talking about, man, pastor, I'm going through a trial. Why? I just lost my parking spot in the downtown area. No, no, time out. That's, that's a, that's a, that is an inconvenience. We're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not talking about an inconvenience. We're, we're talking about when people are shaken because they're being oppressed because of their belief in Christ. These people were facing some intense hostility. Here, he's, here he says this. He says, he says, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Appointed to what? To walk with God regardless of our culture. To walk with God regardless of whether our family's all excited. Walk with God whether everything works out the way that we anticipated. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened. And you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to you, I sent to know your faith. He wanted to know. It was a good father in his faith. He, he wanted to know. Man, I, people that I've led to Christ, man, I want to get checkups on them, right? Like, tell me how you're doing. Uh, what's going on? I think that's a good thing. Those of you that lead small groups at our campuses, and you, maybe you've discipled somebody, led somebody to Christ, and, and people as a, as a mom in the faith, as a dad in the faith, we want to check up on our spiritual kids. Isn't that right? We, we, Paul, that's what Paul was. He was a father in the faith. He says, man, I, I wanted to check up to see how you're going. And by doing so, I'm going to write this letter to give you some guidelines how to walk in spiritual strength. I don't want to see your faith falter. Lest by any means the tempter. The tempter. Who's the tempter? We know who the, the, the tempter is. The adversary the antagonist, the one that is against us, Satan himself. Lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. Number one, three keys to spiritual strength. If you're taking notes, those of you that are following online, you can look and we have those. Number one, in enduring perseverance. Pastor Steve, what is Paul talking about as he's writing to this church? What is Paul talking about in chapter 3, 1 to 5? I believe he's talking about what it means to walk in enduring perseverance. Paul encouraged the Thessalonians to keep going. And look what he says. He wants them to be established and encouraged in verse 2. Verse 3, unshaken. Verse 5, reassured. What was Paul doing? Paul was anxious to hear that their faith was, was strong. You and I have all met people, maybe different times in our lives, where, where we've come into a relationship with Christ. Maybe when you got born again, and yet there's times where the Bible talks about roots. It, it talks about often likening to the Christian life as, as, as trees and, and growing. Jesus taught about, a lot about seeds and sower and planting and, and development. And what happens is oftentimes because of the winds and the adversities and the trials of life, we can get weakened in our root structure, our faith. Paul was writing to them because he wanted to make sure that they were strong in their roots. I think we've learned a little bit about that. Those campuses in our Gulf Coast region that a lot can happen up top. A lot can blow up top. But if your roots are strong, question, are your roots strong? Do you 
flop over at the first little gust? Or, or, is, there, or is there a sustainability on the inside? Is your faith strong where when adversity comes, you go deeper in God? Paul was very concerned about their faith. He knew what was going to come. Matter of fact, he warned them. He warned them. And that's why as a follower of Jesus, as a pastor, Man, I want to tell people that we believe that God will give you an abundant life. Jesus died on the cross. You confess who Christ is. You repent of your sin. You trust Christ. But we also said the words of Jesus, in this world, you're going to go through some stuff. Be of good cheer. Christ living in you has overcome the world, and our faith must be deep in him, lest so we can overcome the world as well. Paul was so concerned about their faith. It's important that we realize the primary objective of the enemy is to weaken our faith. We as believers, and this may be something new to some of you, maybe that are new at one of our campuses or maybe for the first time you're joining in today online, and I think it's important to note that we wrestle, the Bible talks about that as believers we wrestle with the powers of darkness, that there is a real demonic world that wants to hinder your faith. Paul wrote about that as well in the epistles. He talked about, I wanted to come to you time and again, but Satan hindered me. There, there's a real tempter that someone that comes to distract and to dilute and, and to, to disconnect us, to get us disconnected from God and one another. The Bible is very clear about this. Paul called him the tempter. Even Jesus, in his time in temptation in the wilderness, Received encouragement from angels. And, and again, even Jesus, at different times in his life where in his humanity, we believe he's fully God but fully man. One of the great times of, that we all know, the, the temptations of Jesus, when, when, when Satan offered him the kingdoms of this world or, or he challenged him to turn the stone into the bread or to throw himself off the pinnacle of the Temple Mount. It was, it was there as we, as we read, as he comes out of this, the angels of the Lord, the Lord's angels ministered to him in that time. In the same way when Jesus was in the garden at Gethsemane, not only the angels of God, but the people of God. Peter, James, and John went with him. Can I tell you something? That when your life and my life goes through trials and even temptations, we need the Spirit of God, the strength of God, and the people of God around us. Perseverance is not your willpower. It's the strength of God, the power of God, and the people of God that surrounds you. Paul knew that. And he collectively was encouraging them as a people. Stay strong in God. The good news is, because Jesus overcame the enemy, we too. Some Christians along the paths of life get discouraged and they simply quit. I would, I would be a liar if I stood up here and I said, I've never seen that. I've never witnessed that, but unfortunately, that's not true. And um, the fact is, is that some Christians, they started out, on fire for God, and I don't know where they are today. I'm not judging them, but I'm going to tell you one thing. They're not where they used to be in their walk with God. Uh, they're, 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 uh, it breaks my heart to see it, people that, 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 that some, some of which we, we kind of even some all came into the kingdom of God together, and I don't know where they are. I'm not trying to judge anybody, but, I, but, but something happened to their faith. Some circumstance happened. Somebody opposed them. Some some disappointment happened. Something happened. But I'm going to tell you what did happen. The tempter was right there. And what was the tempter doing? To try to distract, dilute, discourage them in their faith? 
That's what the enemy of our soul wants to do. We don't fix our eyes on life's problems. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We know he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the one that began this in us. He is the one that will complete it in us. And he's the one that gives us supernatural power to stand even when the winds of life are blowing against us. Paul would say to that church, be assured, be unshaken. God is with you. God is for you. Over and over, I pray that your faith would be strong, that your faith would be strong. In our culture in which we live, whatever the philosophy that may be whipping around us, the ideological thought patterns and all these things. Listen, I would say, and I believe the Lord would say, Paul would say to us, be strong in your faith. Don't allow opposition to be an opportunity to walk away, but allow opposition to be an opportunity to go deeper in God, to dig deeper in our roots in God. Well, Steve, you don't know my situation. Well, no, I don't know everything, but you don't know my struggles. I've got big struggles. I went through a divorce, Pastor Steve, or I've just gone through a bankruptcy, Pastor, and I've just gone through, or I've got this addiction. or what. Listen, we all have something, but I'm going to tell you something. Here's the good news. In God, we can get back up and keep going if our faith is, is, is in him. God wants to empower you to walk through that. I want to encourage you as your pastor. God wants to, God wants to empower you and help you. The Holy Spirit's called the divine advocate, the helper. God wants to help us. God is not our problem. God is our solution. God wants to help us. There's a real devil that wants to stop our faith, and there's real circumstances that wants to hinder us. God wants to help us. I know people get disappointed. I've been a pastor for 22 years. I've been in ministry nearly 30 years. People get disappointed. I've been disappointed. Things have not worked out at times the way that I thought, and things have been hindered, and people have said that. And I, listen, we all have to grapple with that. But what I know is when I look up to God and I understand something about God, that God is supernatural and God is sovereign, here's what I have found out. When one door closes, God will open up another. And if two doors close, God will open up a window. In other words, God will always spin it in my favor for his glory and my good if I'll trust him. And Paul was telling those people, let me tell you, he was telling, let me tell you, don't let the enemy tempt you to get you to walk away from your faith. Be strong in your faith. You are not what you feel. You are not what is happening to you. You are not what the enemy says about you. You are a child of God. Be strong in faith and don't let the winds of adversity blow you over. Go deeper in God. That's where strength comes from. Spiritual strength. Spiritual strength. God, I do not believe, puts a period on anybody's life until they die. He puts commas. Until next time, there's another chapter. There's the rest of the sentence. Paul is encouraging these believers in us today to persevere. That's my prayer for you as a pastor. You know what makes makes my heart happy? It's when I see people in our church, man, let's stay in the game. Let's keep growing. No, we can, yes, we can be honest when things are tough. Man, we can be honest and open before God and your small group and the different pastoral team at all of our campuses. We can be honest. We do not advocate a dishonesty, but, but we, we, sincere faith is important. But at the same time, let me tell you, the only way you fail as a Christian is if you quit, is if you stay down. Let's get back up. Let's keep growing in God. The writer in Hebrews says, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, 
which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. How many of you want to receive the promise? Come on, raise your hand. Let me tell you what the promise is. The promise is whatever God's promised you. In other words, let's stand in faith. There's always a gap between the promise and the provision. And we stand in faith. We let our roots go down. But it's often the, 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 the attitude of an individual that stays, let me tell you, regardless. And it's so beautiful to see a man or a woman of God, regardless of what comes against them, they just keep staying in the game. I, I'm reminded of a gentleman in our church, a wonderful couple in our church. And I know that we just went through in the Gulf Coast region, Hurricane Ida. And this particular gentleman, it 2016, he lived in a house, his house flooded. They repaired that. Nearly a year later, it flooded again. Then he thought, well, heck, I'm, I'm, he was living out a little bit further out, and he said, I'm going to move into Covington. Hurricane Ida came. I was on the phone with him, actually, the day afterwards. And, uh, and I said, what, what's up? What's going on? Are you okay? He goes, Pastor, I'm going to get back with you. He says, but I've actually got three trees in my house. I thought to myself, flooded house, another flooded house, three trees. Okay, I'm going to tell you something. I would be fighting some dark thoughts. How about you guys? His attitude was of an overcoming believer in Jesus Christ. Not denying the reality of what took place, but denying the reality of allowing some negative thing to settle in. Where is God? What is God? And let me tell you something. As believers in Jesus, we can overcome regardless of what happens to us. And let me tell you something. It fires me up when I see another believer doing that. I hope you can draw from my faith. I hope I can draw from your faith. That's what Paul said. We can look to one another and we look to God and then it's the faithful brethren in the Lord that, that, that we're doing this thing. The whole church, let's stand in faith. That's what the church at Thessalonica, you guys stand in faith. Stand in faith. I'll say it again. When adversity comes, don't let it blow your faith away. Let it deepen your faith. Number two, the second thing that I see here about living strong is radiant holiness. Moving on to chapter four, I, I wish I could take every word in the study and do a deep dive on every word, etymologically, big term, right? Where I could go through every word, and, but, but I can't. But I, I'm getting these concepts. And by the way, I hope as a noble Berean, I hope you guys go back and dive deeper into the scripture. Read 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 next week and go deeper. That's why I teach through books of the Bible. Let's read Radiant Holiest, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 through 8. Finally then, watch this. Brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. And as we have forewarned you and testified. Wow. Verse 7, for God did not call us to uncleanness, uncleanliness. God's not called us to be unclean, according to the scripture, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this, what's this? All those previous verses, 
all those previous admonitions. He who rejects this does not, listen, watch this, does not reject men, but God, who's also given us his Holy Spirit. Remember what I said? There's a difference between military strength. I want everybody to lean in. This is so important. There's a difference between military strength, political strength, financial strength, and spiritual strength. Spiritual strength is not derived from human beings. Spiritual strength is derived from the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. In verse 1, the word wall comes from the Greek verb that literally means living one's life. It's one of Paul's favorite words to describe our Christian life. In verse 3, the noun translated as sanctification or holiness is key in this passage. The word sanctification and holiness. Pastor, what, what does that mean? Well, it's a key. I'll explain it in a moment. Holiness is, is a timeless biblical concept, which it, it conveys a, a, a sense of separation. It's a, it's a sense of being distinct and different from the values and the culture around you. It, it's very close to the concept in John 17. It's, it's very similar when Jesus would, would, would encourage us to be in the world, but not of the world. Not subscribing to the value system of the world. Not subscribing to the, to, to, to the manner of life that the world would propagate. In other words, there's a distinctiveness. God's people have always been called. We've not been called to be separate in the sense of physically we, we should try to escape. Historically, some Christians have done that. We're going to build a Christian city. We don't want anybody lost. Well, how do you fulfill the great commission of winning the lost then if there's no lost? So the tension that we have to walk in as believers, man, we've got to be in the world, but, but by the power of the Spirit, not partake of the world. We have to be at the dinner table, but we've got to make sure we're drinking of a different cup. Yeah. Paul was clear with him here. Sanctification is a sense of separation. Now, let me talk about sanctification just for a moment. I know there's so many new Christians in our church and all of our campuses and the sanctification or the word holiness, I'm going to use those interchangeably for a moment. Sanctification and holiness, it's, it's, it's both an event, but it's also a process. It's both. In other words, when you get born again, watch this. When you get born again, in a sense, you are separated unto the Lord. All right? Spiritually speaking. You are, you are called holy unto the Lord. The Lord calls you unto himself. And that's a moment. So when Christ looks at you, and here's a, here's a theological term, righteousness is imputed to you. And basically what it means is you are counted as being right before God, not based upon your own works, but because the blood of Christ has cleansed you. And now you stand separate, holy unto the Lord. That's a moment that happens. But then sanctification is also a lifelong process. That's where some Christians get it. Well, I've been saved. Great. But have you grown in Christ since you've been saved? Does that make sense? Well, I'm not going to hell. Great. Who wants to do that? But when you got saved, did you continue to grow in the grace of Christ? And that's what Paul's contention here with them and his, his encouragement there is, is that you've been called. Let me tell you, it's the Holy Spirit. When you get born again, I, by the way, I'm going to put up that chart. If you're part of our campuses, you guys are going to see this. You'll be, you realize this. I believe the Bible's clear that we are a three-part being. Pull that chart up on the side if you can do that. All the campuses can see that. I'm going to continue to talk. Watch this. 
we are, everybody say spirit. We are a spirit. We have a soul. Our soul is our mind, will, and emotions. And then we live in a body. That's our earth suit. When you get born again, watch this. The Holy Spirit comes into your spirit. And before you knew Christ, you were dead spiritually, Paul says in Ephesians. But after you come to Christ, you are born again. And the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of you. You're born again. You can take that down. But after you become a Christian, watch this. When you got saved, you immediately got changed spiritually. But let me tell you what didn't change. Your mind, will, and emotions. And guess what sanctification then becomes? It becomes walking out the Christian life, watch this, and allowing the Holy Spirit now to, watch this, control your thought process. To control your will and your decision-making process. To control your emotional responses. Pastor, I don't respond the way that I used to. Praise God. You're growing in Christ. Pastor, I'm telling you, I've been using the word of God and memorizing scripture. And man, I've been pressing in. I've been going to small group and learning scripture. And, and can I tell you something? I don't think the way that I used to think. Praise God. What have you allowed? You've allowed the Holy Spirit. You're walking in sanctification. So in a sense, when you get saved, you're sanctified separated unto the Lord. Your spirit comes alive in God, but then you still have to walk through sanctification. Watch this until you see Jesus face to face when you die. And Paul wanted to make sure that these Christians understood this. It's a process. But pastor, I don't know what's going on. I raised my hand. I got saved. I mean, I got the little book, the whole thing. I got baptized. I even got a t-shirt to prove it. Great. You got saved. That's the start. That's not the finish. The finish is when you die. The start is just the start. You got the spirit. Now live the life that God's called you to live by the spirit, renewing your mind. Let the spirit overcome your mindset. Let the spirit help you to change your responses. Let the spirit, what? Dwelling on the inside of you, giving you power to be strong regardless of what's around you. It's called living by the spirit, living according to the spirit. Paul in this passage is also highlighting one of the most common ways that people get sidelined in life, and that's sexual impurity. Um, this can bring serious obstacles to our growth in Christ. For a believer in Jesus to continue in sexual impurity, Paul talks about, man, that can seriously wreck your faith, sideline you. Paul addresses this issue. Paul knew that church would have the possibility of still potentially practicing some of these things, and that's why he says, there are serious concerns I have about sexual immorality. Keep in mind, Thessalonica, Thessalonica was a thoroughly Greek city and society. They were open to accepting everything imaginable. Everything. Paul wanted them to know that they could not live a thriving Christian life and choose to continue to live in ungodly sexual practices. And practices that the culture may have viewed as normal, but the Bible views as sin. It's interesting when you begin to think about this, Paul's teaching was quite clear. Here's what he's saying. Christians, believers in Jesus, don't live any longer in this particular area. Don't allow your sexual ethic to model in any way after those that don't know God. That's what he said. Because there's a difference on the inside of you. You've been transformed by Christ. 
God's sexual ethic is and uh, always will be the same. Human sexual relations are designed to be experienced and enjoyed. Sex is God's idea. God created it for humans to enjoy, but in a construct to protect us, and that's in the construct of marriage, in the way God designed it. Any sexual activity outside of that not only is sin, but it also sets you up. Sets you up for what? For hurt? For pain in your heart? I'm pastor. God's just trying to keep us from fun. No, God's actually trying to help maximize your fun and your enjoyment in the context. Rules are not to hurt you. Rules are to maximize your life within the context. Can you imagine playing a soccer game with no rules? People get hurt. How about football? Well, that would really work well. But God has given us boundaries, and if we'll do it God's way, it it, it allows us to be fulfilled and enjoy the fullness of how God intended life for us. God's intention for sexual activity is designed for our enjoyment. And he gives us guidelines to protect our hearts. Yeah. Human sexual ethics and culture are always changing. But God's design for sexual relationships doesn't change. It's always been the same throughout Scripture in the context of marriage. God designed it this way on purpose, for purpose, to protect you and me. Now, It's always important whenever I speak about this, or actually the Bible speaks about it, and I'll read different scriptures, I think it's always important to note that uh, we must not forget grace. The reality is that some of you, even as believers in Jesus, have participated in sexual activity outside of God's parameters, and, and it's actually cost you. The guilt, the shame, and by the way, culture can run, they can hide the Bible, they can do whatever they want, but we can't run from our conscience. And we're made in the image of God. And I'm always careful as a pastor to talk about, whenever I talk about sexual sin, that, that there's the, there is no sexual sin, or for that matter, any sin that you may have ever committed that is too far from the grace of God to grab you, to wash you, to cleanse you, and make you new. How many are grateful for the grace of Jesus Christ? So as a pastor, as a pastor, I've got to teach you what the scripture teaches. Isn't that right? At the same time, I've also got to hold up the grace of God that God will give you another chance. I'm also honest about my life before I became a believer. I was very sexually immoral. And um, I, the reason why I talk about that is to show you that if God can forgive me, and not just forgive me. Christian, please hear what I'm about to say. And I know this is a very sensitive topic because so many people are bound and hurting in this particular area. God not only will forgive you, God not only forgave me, but he also gave me the power to be able to walk free in that area. Yes, we always need to be aware of temptation. Yes, we need to have guard lines and our guardrails and make wise decisions. And, but, but at the same time, this living sexually pure is not about your willpower, sir. Ma'am, it's not about, it's about the power. That's why I think that Paul said, by the way, at the end of verse 7, he says, remember the Holy Spirit. Don't forget that, please. Don't forget that. God will give us his grace. God gives us his spirit. God will cleanse you just like he cleansed me and gave me the power to walk with God. Yeah. Number one, we've talked about perseverance. God wants to fill you with his spirit to give you a supernatural perseverance. Church family, I I don't know 
all the things that you're going through. And I don't know all the, I know there's a lot going on in our culture and this series is called Fearless. But I wanna, I wanna tell you, the Bible is so clear. God will fill you with the spirit and give you power to grow in your faith and you can have deep roots in God and persevere regardless of what comes against you. And overcome, by the way. You can live an overcoming Christian life. Number two, you can live sexually pure in an impure culture. Yes, you can. Not by your own strength, not by your willpower, but by the power of the Holy Spirit as you yield to a greater power. And you can be forgiven and you can have a new start. Let me give you this last and final thing. You guys learning anything? Three people, so excited. So excited. Man, I wanna help you guys. The reality is, is that I can help you to the degree that we allow the Lord to speak to us. The Bible, man, the Bible will help us. This is, let me tell you something. This is God's guidelines right here to help us. And maybe you're new to this whole Christianity thing. You're like, my gosh, you know, this whole thing is new. I'm telling you, God is for you. He's not against you. He wants you to maximize life, enjoy, fulfill, make a difference, all those things. But we got to do it his way. We got to do it his way. Every time in any generation that man thinks they know more than God, it always ends with wrong conclusions. I'll give you this last and final thing, brotherly love. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we've talked about supernatural strength, strength to persevere, strength to walk in holiness and cleanliness, and, and, and the strength of God to walk in brotherly love. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9 to 10. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Friends, what I see here is the power of Christian brotherly love, brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul commends them for the way that they're loving others. It's powerful to note that I, I, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if the person that maybe is enslaved to lust or enslaved to unhealthy sexual practices. And I, I wonder if they've ever tasted, I wonder if they've ever tasted and drank it from the cup of true, genuine Christian love and friendship. I wonder if how many times we actually get hooked in a sin pattern because we've not taken advantage of the things that would have strengthened us that would have been the antidote to that bad habit. Here's what Paul knew. Paul knew that regardless of what happened around them in the culture, if they would stay together and walk in love and honor one another. I'm so grateful for the different people that have surrounded me over my life. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, I made some decisions early on as a believer. I was going to be a giver and not a taker. I was going to be an adder and not a divider in relationships. And so can you. Church, we can be strong in God, not perfect, not without trial, not, but we can, listen, we can thrive amidst any culture that we're in. We can persevere when we get hit. We can live holy in an unholy culture and we can watch us. We can love even when we're not loved. Yeah. It's by the spirit of God. It's by the grace of God. Paul ends when he talks about brotherly love and I'll close with this. And I love this part. And he says, I pray that you would increase more and more and more. The agape love of God is the love that's unconditional. Let me tell you what agape doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we don't have boundaries and relationships. That doesn't mean that at all. 
problems. We need boundaries and healthy boundaries. But I'm going to tell you what agape love does mean. It's that we love like Jesus loves. We're loved by God and we love others. Church, listen to me as I close. This world desperately is waiting for a group of people that will love them even when they don't deserve to be loved, just like us. Yeah. Yeah. I'm reminded of this last thought. They knew they were Christians by how they loved one another. I've taken more church history courses. I've taken more of the roots of our faith, the book of Acts I've read. And at the end of the day, they knew they were believers because of how they loved one another. What would happen if we as a church, all of our campuses, I'm asking this, what would happen if we loved one another, we encouraged one another, we added to one another, we multiplied one another, we gave to one another, we encouraged one another? What would happen in our church? What would happen in our culture? What would happen in our society? What would happen in our homes? It's possible, not by our own strength, but by the strength that God supplies by the strength that God supplies. And it begins by receiving his love. Would you bow your heads? Can we just pray? I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads. Maybe you're not where you need to be with God in your relationship with Jesus. I want to pray for you. If you do not know Christ, you're not sure about your relationship with God at the count of three, I'm just going to ask for a show of hands. I'm not going to embarrass you. If you say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. I need the blood of Jesus to wash me. If that's you, would you just lift your hand at the count of three? One, two, three. Quickly hold your hand up high. Just hold it up high. I want to pray for those that are trusting Jesus. Let's all pray together. Say, dear Jesus, come on, everyone. Dear Jesus, I come to you today, a sinner in need of a Savior. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I let go of my past, and I turn to you. I turn to the cross. Wash me, forgive me, and make me new. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the sealing work of the Holy Spirit taking root deep in the hearts of your people in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, come on, can we give the Lord a hand clap? Come on, can we just bless the Lord? Amen. Amen.